This partnership brings the ability for people to identify uh, content topics and you can create a custom audience based on users who have engaged with those topics. So it's almost like the reverse of a normal ad platform where you would you know, find your audience and then send them the content. Essentially, this allows you to identify the content and then find an audience afterwards. Welcome back to another episode of the Digital Deep Dive Podcast. This is episode number 12. I am Luke Chapman and I'm here as always with Lachlan Kirkwood. How are you this week, Lachlan? I'm good. I'm good. Another exciting week ahead. Yeah, we're going to dive in and uh, get through a bit of news as usual this week. And then I believe our deep dive this week is going to be on Facebook groups and creating those and getting engagement. And you're going to share some experiences on that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Shall we dive on into the news? Let's dive into it. Uh, Did you want to kick things off? It looks like there's quite a bit happening in the world of social this week. Yeah, look, it was definitely a big week. Um, A lot of more smaller updates across um, like particular features of products. Um, But I kind of just wanted to consolidate the biggest ones that might actually affect digital marketers. Um, So I'll get right into it because there's a few to get through. Um, so first of all, um, Jane Wong, my favorite reverse engineer on Twitter, um, has uncovered a few new features that Instagram is working on, uh, more so for stories. So there's three new features coming to or being tested for Instagram stories at the moment. The first one is a couple new um, formats for the boomerang feature. So if you've used boomerangs before, which I'm sure everyone has, um, it essentially creates like a GIF where it... Um, takes a short burst and then reverses that burst um, and turns it into like a video. Um, So they're experimenting with different speeds and repeating patterns for that boomerang. So that way you can create different styles of boomerangs, which is quite cool. The other two features, uh, one of them is comment sharing. So similar to how you can actually share a post, um, they're testing the ability to be able to share comments to users through direct messages. So if there's a comment that you see in a post that you find interesting or might be relevant to another friend who isn't in that thread, instead of tagging them, you could just send them a direct message with that um, comment and then it'll link back to the original post. And finally, the last update, which I'm really excited to see, um, and I'm surprised that it hasn't come to stories yet, is a grid format for stories. So if you've ever used Canva before and you use like a template to create a grid, Um, This looks very much the same as that. So essentially what it'll do is it'll break the vertical story into different grid patterns. You can upload multiple uh, images and publish it in the one story, which is really good uh, for, I guess, examples like if you're going on a holiday and you've got lots of photos, but you don't want to publish four different stories, you could um, add a collection of all those four stories into one, sorry, all those four posts into one story. Um, and also it's really powerful, I guess, for brands that let's say they've got multiple images of like uh, a product that they want to sell. They could, um, create a collection of those products as well. So that's really exciting. Um, that's coming to Facebook. Some other interesting stuff happening in the world of Facebook slash Instagram. Um, there's a new feature coming to, um, page admins who are managing messages, sorry, messages. Um, within the pages that they 
uh, operate. So if you've ever used a um, social tool like Freshdesk or Zendesk, um, these are great tools that can help consolidate messages across different platforms like Instagram and Messenger, and they can help you kind of annotate those messages internally within your own organization. So you can add labels and uh, you can add like internal notes and things like that. So you can monitor like the life cycle of those messages, I guess. Um, so it just helps you triage those messages within your organization. And essentially Messenger is working on a version of that that sits natively within the Messenger app. And it allows teams to add notes and labels to messages sent to a page, um, which is really exciting because, I mean, it could potentially eliminate the need to use third-party tools. Um, but I just think it's going to be a great way to help resolve any user queries or even process orders um, a lot faster and natively within the platform as well too, which is always great. Another feature coming to Facebooks is more so particularly for groups. So if you've been a member of a Facebook group, you might have noticed that last year they rolled out the uh, ability to uh, create group chats within a group. So this was just a way of um, helping members within a group drive real-time conversations as opposed to just publishing posts in the group and then commenting on it. Um, but unfortunately, from what I've seen, um, Facebook wasn't happy with the engagement rates that they were getting throughout these group chats within groups. Um, bit of a tongue twister there. But they're essentially sunsetting uh, this feature within groups. So you'll no longer be able to create uh, any group chats. You will, however, be able to search any past chats, but you won't be able to respond to these messages. From what I read as well, um, they did identify that this is definitely a feature that groups need. However, they just mentioned that they hadn't really set up the right infrastructure for it in terms of the user experience that it had. So from what I can kind of interpret, I would imagine that when you're creating a group message, it would take you away from the Facebook group page into Messenger's platform. Um, whereas I think what Facebook want to develop or are looking to develop is a way to host these real-time conversations within the group natively. Um, so I'm really excited to see what they're going to build out there. Um, and as an admin of a group, which I'm going to jump into the deep dive later, um, I think it's going to be a great way to drive more meaningful engagements within um, Facebook groups. And one of the last kind of Facebook updates I have is the new exciting Facebook cinema ads. Um, so this is a new ad format coming to, um, to start off with the countries in the US and the UK uh, for partner um, cinemas, essentially. So it's a new call to action in an ad format that allows users to actually subscribe to the ad. So that way they'll get a notification when um, a movie is released. Uh, so this is actually quite similar to the way that Facebook events work. So when you um, join an event or you say that you're your RSVP that you're going, um, you'll get a notification leading up to the event or, you know, whenever someone publishes that the event's about to happen. Um, so users can actually subscribe to the movie trailers that they see natively within the platform, which is a really great way to re-engage those users and help drive ticket sales. Um, and then they've gone one step further and they're also planning to integrate a native ticketing function, um, which would essentially allow... Um, movie production companies to avoid redirecting users to their website. So I guess this would kind of be like the equivalent of a lead gen ad. So where you would traditionally redirect users to your website to get them to fill out 
a lead or convert, um, you could do that natively on the Facebook platform itself directly within the ad. So what this looks like is um, almost like a Calendly kind of integration within Facebook where you can just choose your movie time and you can convert directly in the ad itself. So just a really great way to streamline the whole ticketing process and drive more conversions for those brands. Um, as I mentioned, unfortunately, it's not coming to Australia just yet, um, but I'll be sure to keep you posted if I hear more on that. And two more last updates for me this week. One is from Snapchat, which had some exciting news this week. They released the version three of the Snap Spectacles. Uh, so if you haven't followed the first two, they <laughs> weren't the most successful, I would say, politely. Yeah, um, I was going to say they had like $30 million worth of stock they couldn't shift or something from the first lot. So they thought it would be a great idea to make more. Yes. And to be honest, I'm pleasantly surprised. This The new format... Um, At least they're not bright yellow this time. No, they're not. And they do look a bit more, I guess, trendy, if you want to say that. Um, but the main update to these are that the spectacles now use two cameras. So um, one on each side, which allows you to actually create 3D content. So similar to like a Facebook 3D post that leverages like the depth perception in your camera um, where you can kind of move the environment of the photo. Um, you can now do that with spectacles. So you can shoot a photo and create a really immersive piece of content. And the other great thing, I feel like it wouldn't be an episode of the Digital Deep Dive if we didn't throw the word stickers out there. But uh, you can also add stickers and world lenses to the camera um, so let's say you're walking around um, you can add a world lens of like the ocean in you so you can shoot content that looks like you're um, you know underwater and I guess if I'm to bring this back to what this means for digital marketers I think it's a great way that if you're working with an influencer um, and you are a particular brand let's say you're like an aquarium or something like that um, you could partner with an influencer and get them to create really immersive content that's quite different and then you could of course repurpose that use to use the generated content um, but look it's going to be really interesting to see how the new version of spectacles play as you mentioned like they didn't have the most success with the first two i know that with the second version people were quite pleased with the ability to um, reformat the way that it was recorded so you could republish the content across different platforms because people didn't want to just publish it on snap they wanted to also share it to things like instagram so yeah, look, I'm really excited to see how this goes. Um, I'll throw a link in the show notes so you can check out what they look like and you can see some examples of the cool content that you can create on it. Um, and finally, one of the last things for me with NewsWise um, is an article I recently read from um, about LinkedIn updating some new campaign audiences. So LinkedIn's been really serious about kind of really maturing their ad platform for brands and empowering them with more than just kind of interest-based targeting. They want to use more of the data that they have from things like um, through the Microsoft acquisition, I guess, um, with like Bing search data and other data within the platform that they have. Um, they've actually gone one step further now and they're partnered with uh, third-party data brokers and also platforms like Hootsuite um, to identify what content people are engaging with off the platform. So essentially it's just a way of enriching the data that they have on users currently to see what their interests are outside of just the platform. Um, and there's three new tools coming to digital marketers that um, will be quite effective. 
through this partnership. So this partnership brings the ability for people to identify uh, content topics um, and you can create a custom audience based on users who have engaged with those topics. So it's almost like the reverse of a normal ad platform where you would, um, you know, find your audience and then send them the content. Essentially, this allows you to identify the content and then find an audience afterwards. So let's say you've got a topic like, I don't know, a time tracking tool or something like that. You could find anyone interested in particular areas like time tracking, project management, um, and it'll create a custom audience for you of users who have engaged with particular hashtags on the platform and other content outside of the platform, like articles that they've read across, I guess, the internet. Um, that was probably the main and most valuable feature that's kind of come out of these new partnerships, but there's two other features that are pretty relevant as well to digital marketers, and one is content recommendations. So... Essentially, it'll just show you the kind of content that your audience has engaged with um, organically. So it's just a good way of, it's kind of like SEO, I guess, for LinkedIn marketing. Um, so you can just identify like what types of content you should be creating for and catering for. And finally, there's the ability to understand benchmarks of how your content compares against your competitors. Um, so it's just a good way to understand pretty much just what I said Uh yeah, how your posts compare in particular topics against your competitors' posts. So uh, nothing too major. As I mentioned, just that first feature about the ability to create uh, custom audiences or have LinkedIn create a custom audience for you based off the topics that you want to target. I think that's probably the most valuable thing that I would take away from that. Um, but I'll be sure to throw a link in the show notes for anyone interested as well. But um that's pretty much everything I had to cover this week. As I said, I wanted to be as quick as possible. Um, what about you, Luke? Did you have much happening this week in your world? Um, not a lot. I've sort of culled it down to about four items to run through before we get into the deep dive. Actually, a lot of the news this week is not necessarily new things, but more updates on previous pieces of news that we've talked about. So... The first thing is we've talked a bit about zero-click searches before, which is where, especially on Google, if you search for something, people are getting the answer in the search results from featured snippets or other um, various things on the search results page where they don't actually need to click through to a site. They're you know, getting their answer right on the page, so that's referred to as a zero-click search. Of course, a zero-click search could also be they just decide not to click on anything and maybe they don't get the answer, but... You know, more than more more often than not, they're getting the answer on that search results page from, yeah, a featured snippet or some other sort of new thing that's popping up there. Uh, but what was interesting is for the first time, according to these stats, um, more than fifty percent of Google searches, so it's finally ticked over to more than half of Google searches were zero click searches. So that's including both paid and organic search so more people are not clicking on anything rather than clicking on either organic or paid results so that search is based on 40 million browser-based searches um, both desktop and mobile but it's us only so of course it may be different in different countries but certainly it's a trend that's definitely rising uh, especially on mobile i won't go into much more detail than that really we've we've covered that on previous shows and what that might mean for for people, um, especially if you've got a content-based site and you're relying on traffic 
um, you may need to start looking at other ways of getting in front of the user and encouraging them to click through. Or depending on your type of business, you know, you might actually be able to use things like featured snippets and, and structured data and things like that to still answer the searcher's query uh, on the results page there. And it could be a good branding exercise for your business. But of course, it is harder to track that through something like Google Analytics if they're not coming to your site. Which brings me to my second piece of news, which is that Google Search Console is adding some new types of structured data to Search Console that uh, it will report on. So they're already you're already able to see reports on some structured data, so things like FAQ, how-tos, recipes, job postings, events. So they've added a few more types to that. It seems to mostly be focused around e-commerce. So the first one is product markup, so that, that um, displays detailed product information in the search results. Uh, also, site link search box markup. So if you've got a, a Google search bar in your site that lets you search or that lets the user search through your content, that uh, will now report through into Search Console. And the third one is kind of not really a type of structured data, but it's called unpassable types. So that's where you've tried to implement some sort of structured data and it hasn't been implemented correctly. So those errors will now um, be reported through Search Console as well. So definitely... Apart from just looking at Google Analytics, make sure that you've signed up for Google Search Console and that you're keeping a regular eye um, in there as well to see what's happening with your, not just your website, but your search results as well, because you'll get some of that zero-click data coming through there. So it'll be very interesting to see what insights you can pull out of that. And the last two bits of news that I have relate to Google Ads. So again, this first one is not necessarily new. It's more of an update on previous news that we've had. So a few months ago, Google said that they were going to remove the average position metric from Google Ads, but they hadn't really specified a date. Um, so now we know that that's going to be happening starting the week of September 30th. Whether that happens to everyone on that date, I'm not sure, but they'll start doing it then. So it will affect if you're using rules or custom columns or reports that are using that average position metric, um, those will disappear or be disabled. But of course, there are replacements for that that were brought out months ago, which I feel are, are probably better anyway. So you've now got absolute top impression and top impression. So absolute top impression means it's in the absolute top um, ad result placement that it can be in. So that's your number one spot. Uh, so it'll show you how often you're showing up there. And top impression refers to any position within the top uh, set of paid listings. So if you're looking at a Google search results page, you'll notice there's there's always ads at the top. Sometimes you'll find some at the bottom as well. Uh, but the the top impression refers just to that group of, of top ones there. So um, they kind of have split it up to instead of just giving you the average, they now have split it into a couple of different metrics, which give you a, a better idea overall. And the last bit of news that I have for you, so making it a nice quick update this week. Um, so the last one this week is um, Google Ads optimization score is something that you might have seen before. If you use Google Ads, it gives you a score um, you know, out of 100%, which gives you some optimization tips and things that you can uh, recommendations that you can do to your account, to different ad groups or keywords and, and things like that, that will 
in Google's eyes, according to their algorithm, will help optimize your account. So now they've expanded that a bit so that it also includes shopping campaigns. So if you are, again, this is probably relevant to more of the e-commerce businesses. So if you are using shopping campaigns in Google Ads, you'll now see uh, an individual sort of optimization score for your shopping campaigns as well. So again, zero to it works exactly the same, zero to one hundred percent, and it'll give you those recommendations. Um, they're not necessarily the same recommendations that you get in the regular, you know, Google Ads search ads. Um, so you'll get recommendations based on specifically on the shopping campaigns, which is good. So there are some new ones in there. So if you are using um, shopping campaigns in Google Ads, go and have a look, and you'll see those scores popping up, and you can have a look at the recommendations. As always, I. You know, with regular Google Ads, I probably wouldn't recommend just automatically applying them all. Definitely have a look and see what they're recommending. Sometimes the the ad groups or the keywords that they're recommending don't necessarily make total sense. So you should always cast a bit of a, a watchful eye over them before you click on apply. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing, especially for people that are just getting into to Google Ads uh, or Google Shopping campaigns. Um, it'll give you some good tips and advice there. Certainly, hopefully highlight some things to you that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise. So yeah, that's all I had for, for news from my end this week. Did you want to dive in in record time <laughs> into our deep dive this week, Lachlan? Yeah, sure thing. Um, look, to be honest, like it's not going to be the deepest of dives, but I hope I can share a bit of value. So uh, a shallow dive. It will be a shallow dive. Um so I recently published a blog post um, just on my personal blog last week about my experience with Facebook groups. So for those that listen that might know, I have a Facebook group, um, which is just a nice community of digital marketers just um, that I created just so we could kind of share any insights or anything similar to what we talk about in the deep dive show, but uh, just in a Facebook group format. Um, What's your Facebook group called for those that don't know? Uh, it's called Click Through. So I'll throw a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, but I, it's pretty much been a year now since I created that group and I just wanted to share some insights with my audience about what I've learned really from trying to scale that Facebook group and also drive engagement as well. Um, and everything I've done on that has been 100% organic and just kind of giving some strategies of, best practices that I've found personally for my group. Um, now, of course, every other group is different, um, but mine focuses on the specific niche of digital marketers. So I guess my blog post was kind of broken into two parts. The first part was just talking about how you can acquire members of a group. And even more so before that, I touched base on the importance of Facebook groups, just because uh, with Facebook pages, the engagement rates just continually decreasing across those um, whereas as Facebook had mentioned that things like F8 this year the groups is essentially the way that they see the platform moving forward um, and of course they're a great way to continually drive more engagement with users um, so yeah the first point I mentioned was just about acquiring members um, and I just gave some good strategies on ways that I've been able to grow the Facebook group so in the post I did mention that the hardest part throughout the Facebook group is the first uh, like initial 100 users just because when you're creating a group, it's actually quite a bit of a ghost town to start with. I found that it was just myself publishing content um, 
and none of that content received any engagement at all. Um, one thing I didn't do that I would actually recommend to anyone creating a group is um, inviting people from your own network uh, to join the group so that they feel comfortable publishing content um, with others in your network. So it's not so much of a ghost town to begin with. Um, that's just a good way to really get some good engagement on the board from the start. Um, a couple of other early stage things that you should really focus about before you create a group is also um, similar to a website, optimizing the actual name of the group because um, this will evidently like affect your uh, discoverability for how your group is found in the Facebook search results. Um, so my group isn't just called Click Through, it's called Click Through with a dash and then it's got a nice summary of what the group is about. So it just mentions discover the best digital marketing content. So that way if any users um, are looking for digital marketing groups or groups about digital marketing content, uh, that'll be more than likely to show up uh, in their search results. Um, the other thing as well that I found really effective is when I created the group, it was an open group um, and this allowed people to actually see the content before they could join the group. When I'd configured the group to be a closed group, uh, the amount of members like increased overnight because people weren't able to actually see the content within the group they had to actually join it to see what it was about um, so that was something that really helped optimize the I guess the member numbers within the group um, and a way that I've really been able to scale the users within my group has just been publishing content through my own network and sharing it so I have quite a I guess engaged network on LinkedIn more so than anything. That's where my audience resides. So what I did was I created a click-through LinkedIn page. And what I would do was republish any content from the Facebook group onto the click-through LinkedIn page. Um, so that way it was um, discoverable on LinkedIn and users could engage with it. But then what I would do is through my own personal account, I would either engage with that content or share that content and add my additional thoughts as some additional value. So that way I was always adding a little bit more onto it for my network, just so it had my kind of personalized touch to it, I guess you could say. Um, and I found that was quite a good uh, strategy because what I would do at the bottom of every post is uh, add a link back to the Facebook group. So let's say if I was to share something like an Instagram, new, a new feature across Instagram, um, I would then add a link back to the Facebook page and just say, see what our community of digital marketers thinks at our Facebook group here. And then I would share that within my network. And that would just really help that kind of top, top of funnel audience just channel into the Facebook community, which was quite effective. And another few key strategies I used to help scale the user base of the group was just collaborating with other group admins. Um, so there's um, a group called Launcher Marketing Career. Um, would definitely recommend checking that out if you're in early stages of your digital marketing career. Um, and I'm quite good friends with the admin of that, Nina. She's from Melbourne. Um, she's a wonderful lady who's very active and passionate about digital marketing as well. And so I coincidentally joined that group and we ended up collaborating on the side from that. But we were always open to sharing and cross-posting content from each other's groups into our own groups um, just so we could both benefit from the similarities within the communities. Um, 
and we were completely fine with the collaboration itself. Um, and it really helped me scale my group quite a bit when she would um, help promote my content within her group. And I'd hope that it did the same vice versa as well. Um, and the final way that I was able to acquire users was actually leveraging other platforms like Quora and Product Hunt. So what I would do is I would go onto Quora and search for questions about things like people wanting to know the best Facebook group. Um, and I would just give a response of like, let's say the top five Facebook groups. Um, and I would add genuine thoughts on other groups that I really enjoy the content of, like the Social Media Geek Out um, and Digital Marketers Australia. And then at the bottom of that, I would put my own group there and I would give a full disclosure saying it was my own group, but like this is the kind of content that you could find in the group. So if it's valuable to you, I'd really like just recommend actually checking it out for yourself. Um, and that did quite well. And I guess the way I was able to measure the effectiveness of that strategy was when I, uh, well, when a user signs up to join my group, there's just a list of questions that they have to answer. One just attributes the source of where they heard about the group there too. Um, another good point I should mention is that if you are a group and you are wanting to gate your community with opt-in questions, so that's where you can ask a user um, to complete up to three questions before they um, can send their invite into the group, I'd recommend just keeping those streamlined as possible. Similar to like a lead gen form, you don't want to ask for too much data straight away. I've seen groups in the past where I've gone to join and they've asked to like hand over your email address so you can download the ebook from the group. And like just from a user experience perspective, like I hadn't received any value from that group at that point. So I was very hesitant to do that. Um, whereas the questions that I'd set for my group is just a simple question about asking what areas of digital marketing they work across and also just how they heard about the group there. So that way I can kind of measure some of the data around like where users are coming from. I just keep that in a Google Sheet. And I was able to use other communities like Product Hunt where some members might be interested in digital marketing and they might actually get quite a bit of value out of it, especially being like a developer community. Um, they might not know everything about digital marketing. So just in some forums and group chats on that platform, I was just able to, again, add value into a conversation and just give an authentic mention of my group. So just give disclosure saying it was a Facebook group that I'm an admin for. Um, but just kind of letting them know what was involved in that group and what value they could get out of it. Um, so there were some great ways that I personally found um, were effective at acquiring members. And again, like I've done this for a year. I wouldn't say the group's massive. It's a small community, but I'd like to think that um, it's quite a valuable community for the members who are in it. Um, and I've just built that organically through my own network. Um, and the other point that my blog post talked about was just ways that you can really drive engagement within your group once you have users because, I mean, you can have as many users as you want, but of course, if you don't have engagement, you don't have a community. Um, and the whole purpose of a Facebook group is to have a really engaged community just driving really authentic conversations. So some tips I gave in the blog post were things like just asking questions um, in the group. These are really general. So what I had a tendency to do originally was just post as much content that I was finding myself and just putting it out there to users, but I wasn't asking for their opinions or their feedback on what they thought about it. So I found it very effective just asking their thoughts about um, the particular content that I was showing and asking if anyone had any experience that they could actually share with myself so that I could learn from them um, because I found that users loved sharing their own stories with the group and it really helped, again, drive that sense of community. 
Um, and the other thing as well that I found really effective at driving engagement was tagging users in posts. So if I was to publish something, I could immediately just tag a user either in that post or in the comments of that post just so they would automatically get a notification for it. And with Facebook groups, if your group has a higher engagement rate on a particular post than a, a traditional post in the group or like a standard post within the group, it's more likely to then um, send another notification to other members of that group because Facebook will recognize that that post is of value. So I figured that if I was able to drive more engagement faster on, um, the uh, reach of that particular post would be higher than the average posts. Um, and Facebook has a really good feature for this where it allows you to publish a post and tag all of the users who have registered for your group in the last seven days. So I know a lot of group admins use this feature and it's really valuable. So essentially what you do is you just do like a weekly roundup where you say like a welcome message to all the new members in the group. It'll automatically tag all those users so you don't have to worry about um, going through and manually doing that yourself. Um, and you can just ask them to give a bit of a warm welcome to the community and share their story within the community and drive some engagement there as well too. So that was a really effective way that I've found um, to drive engagement in the group there. But yeah, like I'm always interested to learn how I can continue to scale the group. So by all means, if you are an admin or you manage a group of your own, um, or if you're in another group that you find really valuable, I'd love to know um, your experiences with that. Uh, always willing to learn new uh, strategies when it comes to Facebook groups. I believe that they're only going to become more, I guess, dominant in the social landscape. So yeah, that was kind of the post in summary. Um, as always, I'll throw a link in the show notes if you'd like to read the full post. And of course, if you've got any other points you'd like to add on Facebook groups, let me know by all means. Awesome. And yeah, definitely go and join Lachlan's group there. Click through. Uh, we'll link to it from the show notes. I think that's pretty close to a record wrap-up time for us this week, about half an hour. Let us know if you prefer these shorter episodes as well, and we might play around with the format a bit in future. Of course, you can catch us on social media and online in various places. Lachlan, where are you at? Um, on Twitter, I'm at Lachlan Kirkwood, and my personal blog is LachlanKirkwood.com. And you can find me at LukeChapman.com.au or on Twitter at DigitalPeddler. Until next week, see you later.